Hello and welcome to the Edge Entertainment Roundtable, a post discussion based around all things entertainment from films, TV, music, literature, theatre and live performances. I'm Theo Smith and I'm the film editor for The Edge magazine. And in this episode, we look back on 2020 and what has been a tumultuous, disruptive, yet innovative and exciting year in entertainment, where everything went offline and everyone went online, from the communal loss of the big screen and the ecstatic euphoria of the live gig experience to virtual watch-along parties and Discord gaming nights within lockdown. And, and we'll be looking back at some of our cultural highlights as well, as well as maybe at the end, a couple of recommendations. But to help us digest this momentous year, I'm joined by five fellow members of the Edge team this year. So I am joined by the digital digital culture editor, uh, Harry Jeeves. Hello. Hey. I'm joined by the editor-in-chief, Morgan McMillan. Welcome. Yo. I'm joined by, <laughs> I'm joined by our records editor, Alice Fort. Hello there. Hi. And I'm joined by, also joined by the classic culture editor, Olivia Della. Hello. Hi. And last but not least, I'm joined by our live editor, Joe Lisney. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so hello, Shaw. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And yeah, welcome along. Uh, I just want to start, start um, talking to Harry first, quickly. Um, 2020 has been such a really tumultuous year. It's been very challenging for a lot of people. What has been sort of the things quickly sort of stood out to you? About the year? Yeah, yeah essentially. What's been sort of stood out to you about overall about the year? the fact that time doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and, and that we're in like late December already, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that, that like, is... It's gone like so quickly. It's, it's, it's crazy, but I've, I've digested so much entertainment over this year. Mm. Um, it feels like I've consumed it all in like the blink of an eye. It's been really strange. <laughs> it feels like, feels like, what was it? Start of lockdown in April and May, or wait, was, was it? Yeah. I, it was so long ago. I totally forgot in June lockdown, but I think, yeah, I think yeah, I think it was May. Was it March? Yeah, was it March? No, it was March. March the thirteenth. March the thirteenth. The world changed. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure. Did. Yeah, was that a Friday? Because that would be it really was. sick. Oh wow, there we are. Wow, Friday the thirteenth. Who knew? It's all Friday fate. Thirteenth. Yeah, oh, that is absolutely horrifying. But I mean, like, I tell you what's <laughs> really interesting as well was like sort of I think a lot of people. I was actually chatting to someone recently about this. It's sort of the fact that um, if we didn't have the internet, we would kind of be all a bit, you know, sort of everything would be a bit messed up, you know, because we wouldn't have like streaming services and Discord or Zoom or all these kind of things that we can also sort of connect and speak to people around the world. I think that was something that was amazing and such. I, I, I wish I had got some like shares in Zoom. Would you, You'd be so rich if you had shares oh, and stuff honestly. like that. Honestly, like not to not to play off a pun, but we'd be also disconnected without the internet at the moment. Like it's wild how oh. much we've had to rely on the internet in the last because we're com- we're nearly coming up to the year anniversary of the pandemic, which is terrifying. Um, but it's wild to think how disconnected we would have been without the internet. Like I would have not been able to speak to any of my uni friends at all. You'd be completely. I would have isolated. forgotten what you all look like. You'd forget what people would look like. Exactly. It's just wild. Like stuff like FaceTime, Discord, Zoom, even like Teams to a certain extent. Like it's it's really been a godsend, to be honest. It has, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. And and to one positive, uh, well, silver lining, I guess, of all the kerfuffle is that even though the internet's like done an amazing job, like some things sort of can't work this way, which is nice because it sort of reassures me that maybe we're not going to turn into the people from Wally you know, anytime soon. <laughs> so that's been one, you know, one nice thing, I guess. 
Jokes on you! I'd love to swim and zoom around one of those little hover chairs. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be great. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. But also, I would like to actually walk around and speak to people and such. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be so strapped. Go outside. Yeah, I want to go outside. Yeah, I want to be outside because you know, I mean, I I do pr I do pray. I mean, also like you know, the whole sort of kind of I took me as well, sort of looking at um, David Attenborough stuff, you know, stuff like the documentaries. I mean, sort of swiftly moving to something like climate change. You know, I think climate change was sort of quite big as well this year, especially at the start of the year. And also, I think um, a lot of David Attenborough did quite a few documentaries this year about climate change. I mean, did anybody watch that? Was it the Extinction that Extinction documentary about the facts? I thought that was really powerful piece of work that was yeah that was very good uh me and my housemates watched it together and we went into it not expecting to afterwards have to sit there in complete silence in almost like shock at how much david attenborough had kind of revealed to us that kind of moment of existentialism where you're like oh god <laughs> which was it was a, it was a really good documentary though um the other one was um uh, life on our planet as well which had a lot of stuff uh, to do with climate change and how the environment has changed over the course of just David Attenborough's lifetime which is a very good documentary that was really good if anyone hasn't watched it I would very much recommend it yeah, I mean I would like to, to say my cat my cat sat there while my parents were watching it on their laps and just casually just like yeah was invested it's the I don't know why but my cat is very much a climate change cat for you. There you go. That's definitely a five star yeah. review right there. That's all. Yeah. That's all the convincing you need to be honest to watch it is that it was good enough to sit there enthralled by it. That that that, that would now be the the the, the, the was it the reviewing criteria now. If the cat doesn't like it, then it's not a good film <laughs> slash TV show anymore. If the cat doesn't get the it, cat stamp. Yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't get a poor stamp. <laughs> Sorry for the pun. Hey, hey. Hey. Anyway, um, but um, but yeah, enough about Twenty Twenty General. Let's talk about some of our sections this year. And um, we're going to start off with records and live with Joe and with Joe Lisney and Alice Fort. Um, starting with you, Alice. Talk a bit about records. Like, what's been going down? What's been the tea? So. 2020 has most definitely, uh, in my opinion anyway, been absolutely dominated by women in music. Like every every big album here, every chart topper has in some way been by a woman, um, which is really gay. So I'm using my little section of this to kind of celebrate some of like what I think has been the best moments of women in music this year. So we've had so many new female-led albums. We've got Grimes, Taylor Swift with two albums, Dua Lipa, Fiona Apple. <laughs> Gaga, Halsey, Kesha, Hayley Williams, uh, Rina Sayawama, like there's so much going on. Um, it's been a really exciting year for music, which you wouldn't really expect considering the fact that we're in a lockdown and no one can really record properly. But at the same time, people have come out of lockdown and made these amazing albums in quarantine, which I think is just a really testament to the industry and to what it's capable of, because it's been fantastic. But a few of my favourites of this year so going right back to March, I think um, this was released. It's Dua Lipa's uh, Future Nostalgia. Absolute uh, yeah. banger. Agreed. Agreed. It's so good. Mm. It was released on the 17th of March. Uh, so literally just after lockdown started. And it became like the anthem of my lockdown because it was so... Was it, was it released a month earlier? It was released, a, was it a week early, wasn't it? Because Dua Lipa pushed because, the date forward. Um, pushed the date forward just because uh, lockdown started. But like, yeah. it's just so good. And it's really, and I think um, as well, it shows the theme of music this year, or at least some of the bigger music of this year, which is disco. Disco has been the thing of this year, like in yes. my opinion, because we've got stuff like 
Dua Lipa, we've got Jessie Ware's What's Your Pleasure, we have Gaga's Chromatica, we've got Kylie Minogue's Disco, obviously quite on the ball there with the disco theme. Um, and it's just been, it's really been like a 70s and 80s influence, which has been really interesting. You know, you know what I was going to say is, um, it was so funny because I think in March, Maddie actually wrote an article saying that 80s nostalgia is going to take over the music industry. And she it predicted did. it. It, it did. did. Quick disclaimer, Maddie is our deputy editor of The Edge. She's a brill writer. We love to see it. But yeah, now, it, I think, um, so a few of my favourite albums of the year have ironically all been by women, because I think that they've completely dominated everything. But a few of my favourites have been, obviously, Future Nostalgia, uh, Sayawama by Rina Sayawama, which was absolutely robbed of major award recognition. I'm never going to be not be upset about that. It is an absolute masterpiece of an album, and she deserves all the hype that she gets. Um, Dynasty yeah, is a personal favourite. It's really easily good. Like top five pop albums of the year. It's so good. It's really. fantastic. And then I also really enjoyed uh, <laughs> anything by Megan Thee Stallion. I just want to put on oh, repeat. No. I knew you would. I knew you would mention her. Oh my! She's God. incredible. I love her so much. Amazing. Oh, I started listening People's to her album. because of Alice. That She's new incredible. Album, is it good news. Oh, I've got the name of the album, but um, the new album I thought was really good. Especially the first album, the face of the first song, where she sort of fires shots at Tori Lanez specifically. Yes. That was really. So I, was, I thought that was like I, I remember listening to it on the um, on Anthony Fantano's uh, Twitch stream. <laughs> and essentially, um, I remember listening to it and legit and legit when it started, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is not going to be you know some sort of you know simple sort of you know kind am is going to be you know she's going to really go at it and she really did i thought there were some great beats and such in that album it's it's incredible i think genuinely i think she could be the queen of 2020 because she's had hits throughout the whole year because she had obviously good news came out it was only a couple of weeks ago actually good news came out but also earlier in the year or even i think it was either early in the year or at the end of 2019 she had sugar came out which had the savage remix of beyonce on it which obviously went viral and she just became massive but i think she genuinely is an absolute force to be reckoned with she is so talented and the beats of her songs are incredible and like my advice to anyone is if you want to feel good about yourself just put on megan the stallion because she will make you feel like the most powerful person on the planet she's incredible what, what about wop what was the banger i mean it taught me to be a dancer i learned that dance over lockdown I mean, it's not a sight. I wouldn't recommend it, but it was so fun. It's like the best workout ever. It was, it, honestly, it's just great. And obviously, we've got some other albums that came out as well. We had Halsey's uh, Manic and her live album. I was back in the day a bit of a Tumblr kid and I had a bit of an obsession with Halsey. So the live album was very much a nostalgia bomb for me because it was all stuff from Badlands, which I adored. But I wasn't the biggest fan of Manic, which was her new album that came out this year. I just didn't think it was her best work. Still a, a good album, but not really anything to write home about. However, on the other hand... Phoebe Bridges' Punisher. Oh, yes. What an album. <laughs> what an, what album. an album. What that, an that album. That album just makes me want to go feral. She makes me want to just pick everything up and run to live in the woods, be at <laughs> one with nature. She's just incredible. She's, I think she's so talented. And I wouldn't, I don't want to say she's underrated because she's not, because I'm pretty sure everyone I know likes Phoebe Bridges. So there's no way that she's underrated. But the album is just so good. And it just, I think mm. it's really quite emotional, but in a very personal way. 
Um, yeah. Which is, I think, again, I think music in general this year, or at least the scope of music that I can talk about, because obviously I can't talk about the whole of music this year, um, has very much veered at two opposite ends of the spectrum, where we've had big disco bangers, so stuff like Chromatica, Future Nostalgia, Disco, uh, even like Good News and Sugar as well. Um, they've all been like these really big disco bangers. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've had all this like indie folk going on, which I also really appreciate. So we've had Phoebe Bridges, and then obviously we've had Taylor Swift, who, oh my God. Is it indie honestly, folk? Like, is it indie folk? I'm not, is it, I, it's yeah, she's, she's, she's folk, she's country, she's every single genre under the planet. I don't even care. Morgan McMillan is a massive Taylor stan, so anything Morgan says about Taylor Swift will be showered with praise. <laughs> So, Honestly, yeah. though, that's the thing as well. Like before folklore came out, I wasn't Swifty. I'd say like my main emotion towards Taylor Swift before folklore came out really was not? complete indifference. I did not care what she did because I didn't really like her music, and I just didn't. Re I wasn't really bothered by her existence. I was like, yeah, she's just doing her thing. I'm not really into it. However, folklore came out, and my life has been changed. It is an incredible <laughs> album. I love life it so much. Like <laughs> Genuinely, it's so ridiculously raw and personal and it's a sound that i would never have expected out of taylor swift uh bearing in mind that i wasn't a swifty obviously so i don't have like a minute by minute play of her discography ingrained in my mind like some certain people in this podcast call but it I was, like that was a dig. Incredible. i feel like that was a dig <laughs> no it was, it was a celebration of your obsession with her because it's understandable now that i've listened to folklore, i get it honestly it was so raw and it was so personal and i really like folk music i mean i'm a massive hosier fan um and it's i thought it was just a really beautiful album and it's nothing i would have ever expected from her it feels so different to everything she's ever done it was really emotional but it didn't feel emotional in a kind of designed and created way it just felt very mm. simply like this is how i'm feeling um i haven't actually listened to evermore the whole way through yet so I'm not going to comment on Evermore because I don't feel like I have the capacity to do so. The bits that I've listened to so far, which are basically just Willow, are also really good. But <laughs> one. Just... Nobody No Crime is probably or my favourite from the really album. Like literally, it's country. Like I legit wanted to get my cowboy hat out and everything. It was so sick. Like I literally, love that. she's the queen of country. She's the queen of pop. Or actually, no, Beyonce is the queen of pop. But yeah, she's just she's just up there. I love her. And I, was, I, I saw I was, someone say that um, Punisher and Folklore were like uh, the uh, Disney villain and a Disney princess because yeah. uh, the covers <laughs> look so similar, which I love. Very That's much. So. It's so similar, but different vibes at the same time. Um, mm. I thought they were both fantastic albums. I've loved that mm. kind of like the bridge between this really heavy dance pop disco and then this like really like sweet and low-key emotional folk kind of music. I think that's been kind of like the two defining sounds of 2020, uh, especially over lockdown. I feel like everyone was becoming very, either it was either everyone was becoming very introspective and very personal and reflecting on life or being like, I just want to dance my feelings away. Let's go wild. And that was the vibe of like the albums that came Makes out sense. this year, I which is completely valid. I also thought as well, like, I've been back to Punisher, because when you're talking about Fever Bridges Punisher, what I loved about that album was this kind of sort of kind of an existential dread about the album sort of kind of seeped all the way through the tracks. And I think sort of the way how, because when it started off, because the, the, the song Kyoto was, I think, one of the teasers and I listened to it and I was kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it, was, it was, I really enjoyed it. But I think actually in sort of, when it's embodied in the album, it really works as kind of sort of like a kind of, 
Well, well I, don't, I don't want to say it's sort of kind of like a detour away from kind of the other ballads because it's a very bad, I do think it's a very ballad heavy album it is, but a lot of the songwriting is really clean. And I think as well, some stuff like Taylor Swift, I think Taylor Swift, although Pete, there are critics of Taylor Swift, I would say this, she is probably one of the best songwriters out there. In the same way as someone like, I hate to say this name, in the same way as someone like Ed Sheeran, who can just write a pop song and it's like no. it's so many, so much traction. It gets so much. Well, in terms of like hits, in terms of like the traction on Spotify, in like streaming numbers, etc. It's in that way. I'm not talking about quality here. Like I would prefer Taylor Swift <laughs> any day over Ed Sheeran, any day of the week. He knows what he's doing for success. We just remember when in 2012, and everyone thought they were really indie and cool for liking Ed Sheeran. Can we just throw that back? Because I remember yeah, getting slated was for my obsession with One Direction. Yeah. I know, and I now everyone's slating him. But it's like, hold up, you guys were the ones slating me for One direction and now everyone wants a comeback just saying Nah, but like I think the album was just full of questions. It was very much like I'm a really fan. Uh, sorry, I'm a really big fan even of songs that are written as if the emotions are kind of running away from you, so it just keeps flowing and flowing and going and going. And I think Phoebe Bridges and Taylor Swift both really captured that feeling. Um, I also love any uh, song that really works with a metaphor. So the whole of yeah. folklore of centered around films and using that as a constant metaphor. Like, I mean, the most obvious one is um, Exile with uh, Bonnie Veer. I can never say his name. Um, which is my, I think might be my favorite song off of folklore. I think it's beautiful. But the whole uh, metaphor of films and falling in love, like being in a movie, is the reoccurring theme throughout the entire album. And I really like it when an album does that. Um, it's one of the things, to go back to a previous point, it's one of the things that I thought was missing from Manic, because Halsey's album, Hopeless Fountain Kingdom, is a concept album based around the idea of Romeo and Juliet. And that was fantastic that was a brilliant album because it had a theme running throughout that kept it cohesive whereas manic didn't that's what it was missing so i'm really i'm really a big fan of uh folklore for that and also i've just realized i really need to talk about miley cyrus as well um because yeah. plastic hearts just came out and it was fantastic that kind of yeah. punk rock vibe it's clearly the place that miley cyrus should be because she was fantastic in it also bad the Carla Billy Idol, is so good her voice is so good. Joan Jett one. The Joan Jett one, just, I don't even have words. It was so good. And the Billy also, Idol one as well. I was actually about to say, Nightcrawling, fantastic. Yes. Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> it's so good. And I think um, that's the thing as well. Uh, our lovely news editor, Sam Pegg, he wrote this really good review of Plastic Hearts. If you want to read it, it's on the website. But he said that the latter half of the album kind of fell short the third half, first half. And I agree with him. I think the latter half is a bit too slow for the first half of the album. If we had a few more tracks like uh, her first track, What the Fuck Do I Know, or Nightcrawling, I think that they both would have kind of if that theme went throughout the rest of the album, it would have felt a lot more cohesive than an album split into two. And I think, honestly, that's what Punisher and Folklore really captured. You need that reoccurring theme to go through over the al otherwise mm. the album just does not flow. And I about, um... disagree with that because only because um, with like music for me, I like to play it on shuffle because like I was listening to, I think it was like when I was a 21 Pilots fan, he said like he didn't want you to listen to it from one to like 10. He wants you to be able to do that, but also press shuffle and then play it from like one to three. And it still makes sense. And I think because I first listened to Miley's album on shuffle, it makes more sense when you do it that way which I think is what it was made, made for instead of a track by track. I mean, that's fair. Oh, enough. I hate I that. I think I just want a bit oh, more that's, that's between track by the last track. I want it to take me on a journey rather than 
like throw me off different ends of the planet. Hang you know on. what I mean? Morgan, you play an album on shuffle. I accidentally did that. Um, but basically, like, I was having a bit of a party, and I was like, what party with God, me and my. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a party with me and my partner. So we were just in the house, and we're like, yeah, let's let's put this on because everyone's moaning about it. And we accidentally had it on shuffle, and we were like, we don't know what these complaints are about. So then we we're like, all right. So what we'll do is the next day we'll listen to it one like f- like completely through, and we got what people meant. But I also feel like with an album, it's sometimes not meant to be a story. Sometimes it's just meant to be music which mm. you're meant to enjoy which is if you listen to rap albums that's what it's about it's about a power in a song not a power in every single song put together kendrick lamar would like to speak to you <laughs> <laughs> Just to bring up, I hello <laughs> yeah. um we forgot about one big album that came out this year um the 1975's notes on a conditional form which was a big album which came out and then it kind Most of just well, it, it was yeah. a massive album. It came out the same week as KSI released his debut album as well at the same time. So it was an interesting oh. sort of, yeah, it was an interesting sort of double bill, you would say. But I, I, I quite, to... I quite like 1975's one. I reviewed it for the website. Yes, you did you the website. Uh, read it, but it's, it's way it. too long and really didn't trim the fat at all and quite bloated. But there are some quite nice ideas in there. I just wish it was quite a bit more streamlined it's a I, shame I as well because i, think I literally i had the nice exact same there, opinion but... i 1975 are one of my favorite bands they've gotten me for a lot of stuff and i like it when you sleep their second album is still one of my favorite albums ever um however yeah, this good. new album ever. was just so complicated and honestly felt a bit yeah. up itself because like it just didn't flow well at yeah the i agree i don't i, just, I think the flow, the flow was fine. going on there was way too much going on like it's 80 minutes i'm pretty sure that is way too yeah. long and yeah. the yeah. tracks that were included weren't worth that 80 minute runtime at all. I don't think there are certainly some really, really good tracks on there. Um, if I just mm. quickly look at the track list, I really like Birthday Party. Um, if you're too oh, shy as well, that's a great. Song. Too shy is brilliant. Brilliant. So I've probably the best 975 songs out there easily. Um, Guys, it's lovely. Guys. Well. Um, and Frail State of Mind is one of my favorites. But like other songs on there I just skip so easy because they just don't need to be there um yeah, a lot of yeah. uh, musical interludes don't need to be there at all um because it unlike the musical interludes of the last album so i'm going to use um i like it when you sleep again as a example but brief inquiry is also a fantastic album um i like it when you sleep has musical interludes that work well with the album because it gives you a break from the heavier stuff whereas this was just musical interludes that doesn't work as well you just get bored i don't, um, I don't know i think that's really what they missed out on Joe, 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 Joe. Yeah, I was going to say um, I was lucky enough to see them at the start of the year before lockdown happened, and obviously they were playing that live. So I mean, it was a great show, but halfway when they started playing the music interludes for like the new album, it just didn't make sense. So my friend and I just kind of stood there. We were a little bit tipsy by this time, but we just kind of stood there, like, "What the hell is going on? Like, what, what is going on?" Did you see in Bournemouth? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I went to Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I, I saw, I saw them at the same date as well. Yeah, I thought they were very good live. But I've, to be fair, I actually thought when they did, because they did. If you're too shy, let me know. And when they played that song, because no one heard that, heard the song at that point. When I when they heard it, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a hit when it came out. And although it didn't get like chart, it wasn't like chart hit. It was still like a really great, like probably like one of the big standout songs on the album, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I on, on that point that you're saying about it being bloated and um, having too many influences, I. I do agree i think like they move through so many styles um but way too briefly i think like the first half of the album is like a nightmare because they don't 
sort of delve deeply in enough into anything kind of experiment with which makes it for an 80 minute album like it feels so brief you know yeah i agree I, I do think it's unbelievably sort of well it's sort of brief but it's it's also it just feels like there's some tracks in there which sort of feel like if you take if you if you take it out of the listening experience and you don't sort of get the album you know like like if, if you take it out of this way you just list the album normally you can really feel like the length of the album like very much and i think that's definitely an issue with that um before we move on to live does anyone have any other albums they would like to recommend quickly yeah i was going to mention the the new strokes album from this year the new abnormal which i really didn't like when i heard it first when it came Did out you not? Um, I love but it. it's ended up being sort of the most i think probably the most uh i've listened to an album released this year oh, like yeah. it's I, i've just come back and back and back to it um and it grew on me a crazy amount i think this especially the second half is just oh yeah just excellent i think i thought it was really boilerplate and stuff when i heard it first and just wasn't very impressed and think it was very interesting um but i i completely disagree with that now i think once you spend more time with it um, the lyrics and the way the, the sort of song structures move in and out is is really clever, and I love um, the first and last songs. I think if you haven't listened yet, I think you I think you should. They're they're pretty pretty great. Yeah, and also I would say as well, in in addition to that, is like I think, like because I think after the last couple of albums with Strokes, they haven't been sort of at their peak. But yeah. I think generally, like with their new album, it was just, I thought it was just brilliant. Like, so, like, Return definitely back, form, back. Definitely. Yeah, Death Returns Form. An album I'll quickly recommend as well, which I think sort of Alice sort of mentioned, is Charlie XCX's new album, How I'm Feeling oh. Now, which was the the quintessential lockout, lockdown album, people called it. And she did. She made the album, she started making the album in April. She did it over about 55 days, she made the album. And she essentially then put it up. And I thought it was just brilliant. Like, just such sort of it's sort of great album it feels like it so condenses the feelings of lockdown and isolation everything into into like sort of using instrumentation using all electronic music it feels so diy and i think it fits so well and it, it so perfectly matches that period of between april and may so i thought that was a brilliant album just want to say like, oh i just want to say oh, an album that I... oh down <laughs> no go ahead joe it's fine you I was going to say, After Hours by the weekend. Like, why there's no mention of that, of course. Uh, oh, shout out to The weekend, of course. Obviously, TikTok did not, I mean, helped him make money. But, like, <laughs> honestly, just, oh, obviously, his he, songwriting is just going better and better and better. And, obviously, his performance at the uh, MTV Awards on top of the building. And, obviously, like, oh, I, honestly, I can't even put into words just how much that album is, oh, I love him so much. That's all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> it's Love's very fair. It's a good album. I really like The Weeknd um, and I loved After Hours. I thought it was a really Hardest really to love. Time. Fantastic song. Yeah. And yeah. Livia, Liv, you want to say something else about an album? Yeah. One of the albums I really liked this year was Boy Pablo's Wishito Rico, which I thought was a really good debut album that he, uh, I think he released, he released it in October. And it's such a, for, for being released in October, it's such a summery album, which is sort of a weird time for it to be released in October. But I think over the year that everybody's had, just some sort of like indie pop with like Latin infusions is just kind mm. of what I needed. So it was quite cool. It was quite a cool album to listen to. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that that was a lot of records there. So yeah, we can move on towards live now. And uh, Joe. Yes, take, I mean, Live's had a very, it's had a very busy year, hasn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> I mean, at the start, it was like you know, Rams for the first 
two and a half months until lockdown, and then the whole world was set alight, you know? Um, it's all fine, it's all fine. But um, obviously in the time with COVID-19 taking over all our lives, um, obviously it's massively affected the industry, um, so much so that obviously even in Southampton, some of our local grassroots venues are actually facing uh, permanent closure, which is obviously a big thing across the country. And so even like the cavern, yeah, the cavern in uh, Liverpool was threatened of being closed. Um, I can't remember the one in Manchester, but the very like, famous one where like Oasis was formed and stuff like that. Well, first became obviously big. Um, it's very much, yeah difficult I guess um but obviously the work that um sorry just seeing what Morgan said yeah okay just making sure you can hear um yeah so it's been a bit of a yeah storm in a teacup that's the politest way of putting it um <laughs> so yeah like obviously with the music venue trust they've been working to try and raise funds to protect our local grass street venues and obviously with the um, government not being um, helpful, let's put it that way, to say the very least. Um, but they've been doing a lot of work and they've been through two current uh, rounds of funding to give out to vo uh, local venues. Um, all And in Southampton, all but one venue has received it. And that was the 19, not 1971, right? We're talking about that. Uh, it's 1865. Yeah, so, 85, yeah. Yeah, that's one that's uh currently mm. our local venue facing um dotty closure, permanent closure. Um but that moves on to some, one of the most exciting things that we did this year was the edge level. So yes, um, festival. Yeah, so we managed to raise over five hundred pounds for uh the music venue trust, which was helping support all the local venues. Um yeah. obviously five hundred can't go that far. But, you know, um, what was your guys' favourite performance of the night, though, is the question. TD. 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 There's no competition. There's no competition at all. I mean, no, we cannot say that. No. Controversial statement for a festival that... I mean, they were all talented. I think everything, everyone who performed was a standout. I think TD's was amazing because he obviously edited and directed all of that shot. And like they've used that as like a video for their uh, fan base and keep promoting the edgeable all the time now. So it is really sick. And they had a whole like uh, company help them with it because he's like Shout part of... Yeah, so he's like part of a company and like he made it all with them. And he introduced... He got all his mates involved. It was just really sick. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, was, it, it like, really was a great group of like performers. It's so cool how many people came together as well to support it out of their own pocket yeah. kind of thing. It was it was really cool with all these artists joining together. I think my yeah. favourite one of the night was the cho uh, Chocolas, and um, they are now in my like most played Spotify of the rap 2020, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> so shout out to those. Um, yeah, I liked I think... Edge of Desire as well. They, they were yeah, cool. Edge Desire nice as well. Yeah, I agree, Edge Desire was sick. I think, they were yeah. our propaganda, I'd say. They were oh, pretty yeah. decent. You went to see them live, didn't you? 
Morgan. Yeah, I saw them live um, just before we went into an... Yes, because they they did a show in Southampton and I saw them just before the second lockdown. Like, I pretty much went to loads of shows the second um, venue started opening up again and um, they were one of them and they did an acoustic set so it was similar to what they did at the Edgetable and it was pretty Mm. epic. They also have, like, a show coming up in a few days, I believe, in the 1865 so for anyone who wants to go to that i'd recommend it and also as well just something to say um like in terms of the funding such is there any places joe that, that people can sort of go and uh support these venues like age 65 etc so yeah um the main thing to do is i know that the 1865 uh, and have teamed up with like wedge rooms in Portsmouth and the joiners in Southampton to sell merch. So any merch um, money that they get is going to to support and make sure that the uh, Grass Street venue, such as the 1865, will still be open and be able to um, come through the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, So basically, if you want to help support local Grass Street venues, essentially just go out and buy their merch to spread the word and try and help protect those kind of venues that are important to our music heritage here Hmm. um yeah so yeah um, go go you too i'll I'll, I'll say i think another thing in terms of live um as well i think um was the introduction to um sort of was it to virtual live virtual concerts that's what i was about to go on yeah yeah you can you can elaborate So um, obviously this um, started from Georgie, our previous live editor, who is still with us. So shout out to her. Um, Uh, Georgie. There we go. Um, It was the List Week in live stream. So every week putting out things to watch and um, how to kind of get that experience at home. So I have watched quite a few and I've got like top five ones since I guess lockdown number one. Um, I would say that my, well, not, not in any order. But if you guys have any suggestions, do jump in, of course. Um, I would say probably was Dua Lipa because obviously uh, she's a babe and obviously she's talking about her album. Um, obviously, she's just incredible to watch and all her like live streams that I've seen or her um, like BBC live lounge things. Like It is incredible and was worth the £10 that I paid. Um, on another uh, note of it being paid for, I would say is Machine Gun Kelly for supporting his Tickets to My Downfall album that came out, I believe, the 20th of September this year. Um, not a big fan of him, but honestly, that that album is beautiful. And, like, I mean, I'm, like, in love with his face. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that was also um, another reason to pay that money. But he did two nights in a row, and um, it was incredible because, obviously, he was streaming from the States, and um, it's the closest I'm ever going to get, really, to him, let's be fair. Um but I should say the most interesting one that I did see was Liam Gallagher going down a barge on the Thames. I was so hoping you were going to mention that. Yeah, that was... I think that alone, cool. paying £16 to just see him go down a barge with his band, is that's enough. Like, Could you imagine walking <laughs> along the Thames and all you see is like this massive barge and you're just like, isn't that Liam Gallagher? That would be like, <laughs> hilarious. Um but yeah, like of course, throwing out some old like Oasis songs he was playing that hasn't been played in like I can't remember something like over ten years now. So um, throwing back to like obviously the resurgence in Britpop and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was actually really incredible, and I think I mean it was obviously channeling stuff like the Clash 
um, back in the day kind of stuff. So it was just reminding us why it's so important that we support British artists and, um, you know, kind of uh, remind the government of what it brings to our culture, I guess. So, and um, two of the top three streams that I would say that I saw this year was um, Tom Sario. So he's a Finnish singer-songwriter. Um, I didn't know much about him, but I listened to his songs on Spotify. Again, it's in my top like list uh, for this year. And it's actually really, really, like, kind of, the only way to describe it is Harry Styles, but a little bit more European. Um, but it was, it was really, he's really good and really talented. And, like, he's starting to, he's not very well known yet, but he is honestly, um, A, beautiful, B, really funny on Twitter, and C, he's just, like, incredible. And uh, if you're into, like, that kind of music or, like, I guess, not a Nile horror and that kind of stuff, he is one to watch for, like watch coming up next year and I can't not mention this person because A, I love them so much but also they are one of the biggest people in well biggest people in I say British music history Sir Elton John so this year would have seen him to celebrate his like goodbye tour um obviously Covid hit couldn't get to go see him. Also, it was £120 to go see him for one ticket, which was a bit wow. extortionate. Wow. It was extortionate. And I was looking at it, at it personally, but can't really justify £120 when I'm, you know, a student and can barely afford to eat. Um, but that's just my own problem. Um, but yeah, he was doing for weeks upon uh weeks of just doing live sets on like YouTube, I believe, for free. So Honestly, it was so heartwarming to see him, uh, you know, with his like jazzy suits and uh, piano, and just like, oh, honestly, that is just so amazing to hear. Like, you know, all his hits, like, you know, your song, uh, Saturday Night, All Right for Fighting. You know, you don't even have to leave the house; you can just get in the mood there. So, yeah. Did any of you guys watch any live streams that you want to talk about? Or you, like, you... I've, I've oh, got to yeah. shout out to Hosea. Oh, yeah. I really have to shout out to Hosea. Honestly, like, his live streams were fantastic. He did them for, I can't remember how many weeks it was. I think it was only for a few weeks. But um, there oh, is really? honestly nothing better than watching Hosea sat at a table in his living room with birds singing outside his window, just singing along to work song. It was brilliant i love that man so much but him live is just a different level of fantastic it was really good a different level of fantastic as well yeah. by britney we did cover toxic and it was so good yes it was so good i saw so many people blowing up on twitter and they were like my life has just been completed i've seen hosea cover toxic by britney spears it's the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> match yeah. <laughs> like another side um, of live though that was really cool is a lot of like drag queens started coming yeah. together like all yeah. the really yeah. all, all the rich ones actually they were like they knew that across the world those who perform at your local clubs they're they're out of work so they came together to do this show they raised like over thirty thousand pound or dollars um to like drag queens who would need it who would need the funding during lockdown and it was i think it was called I forgot what it was called, but it was in March, and it was absolutely epic. And they've been doing so many of those. Like Lady Bunny's doing another virtual one in, like I think, in a few weeks. 
for Christmas and it's just it's going to be really sick and it was only like £10 for a ticket and it was definitely worth it because going to a drag show is like one of the best experiences I think you ever get to see so being able to do that in a pair of PJs was epic. I guess the last thing that we should really talk about, I guess, is the comedy section that live covers. So, again, comedy has been affected massively by the restrictions put in place by COVID. Um, but like Morgan was saying, with drag races, they've all been going, drag races, sorry, I mean drag queens even, have been going um, online as well. So we saw um, some very famous people um, go into it. Um, but the with the restrictions i guess easing with the one meter rule and obviously now post lockdown number two electric boogaloo um we are starting to have be able to record shows live again so like recently there was a russell howard show in london um at the london comedy club and so i mean it just sounds a little bit dead because obviously there's not a lot of people laughing but you gotta do what you gotta do that means um keeping people safe and that actually the kind of industry can start to recover. So I don't know if any of you have seen any recently, but I would definitely um, check out the uh, Russell Howard one where he basically does an impression of, um, what's his face, of Boris Johnson. So that's basically it. That's my recommendation from live is go check it out and go support your local venues. Absolutely go and support your local venue, definitely. Indeed. Yeah, I was, I was, one, I was one last thing at live as well. Like, do, you, do, are we? Is it? Do we think we're ever gonna? Will we be able to have like? Do you think the live music experience will change after the whole this whole pandemic? Do you think like people will be a bit more nervous now going towards a live venue? So I think. I mean, Morgan's probably best place to talk about it because obviously she's been to a few since uh, yeah. lockdown. Yeah. But well, personally, we, we went to one. Oh, me, and Morgan yeah, went to I one mean, in lockdown. We did. When, yeah, know, and the thing is, it's like. I mean, I quite liked it because, like, sometimes when you go to a gig, it's it gets a bit much, like, just, like, standing up the whole time. So for some gigs, it actually works out much better, especially if it's, like, acoustic. Like, I hate standing up for a really long time during an acoustic set because then I just feel like my legs aren't moving. But if it's, like, um, a rock show, like, when me and Theo went, we went to a punk night, and basically, like, sitting down, it just felt wrong. Like, it, you're not allowed yeah. to, like, have your hands up. You're not allowed to shout too loud. So we were just there, and we were like, we really want to start, like, you know, punching each other in, like, a friendly way, but we couldn't do that. So, <laughs> so, so it's just, like, it's just a bit different. And also, like, you have to go with only a few of your friends. It's, like, sometimes for a lot of people, going to a live show, you're meeting people. Like, I've met most of my friends at a concert. So the fact that you can't really talk to new people or even just make a friend for a night i think it it does make the experience different but there is positives yeah. as well so it's like i, I don't think, think we can sit there and say it's all bad you know i think the outdoor ones that you do so during summer i know that people what it was was like kind of like a driving concert with the whole um stands and like little pens that you can go into so you can drive in get out your car and you have room to dance like especially in summer when there's better weather that's probably like going to be um the best way forward if there's still going to be you know like uh restrictions in place because there's gonna be enough room but also it's a little bit more used to what we're you know used to but without people um touching you i guess like you don't you know especially if you're like a mosh pit 
for example. Like you, you will have your own, yeah, your own spot on it, but not some random dudes, you know. So that's a nice bit, I guess. Is the personal space will be at least kind of um, the main thing, but mm. you know, who can say? I guess that's the main thing. Is who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, so we can now. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think. I think anybody else want to say anything about live before we move on? Uh, there's going to be an edgeable coming up sometime next year, so uh, be sure to follow us on all our socials. And the what ed- are our socials, Morgan? They are the dot edgeable. Bang bang pow. <laughs> yeah, the dot edgeable sounds sick. Anyway, let's let, let me, yeah yeah, and also. Do also just quickly plugging plugging as well. Do feel free to follow all of our um, social media. So that's like the edge. That's the edge susu on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So yeah, just quickly just throwing that in there as well. It'll be linked in the show notes uh, if you have a look there, wherever you're yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. wherever you are in the UK, whether you're in tier one, tier two, or tier three. Anyway, <laughs> so um, oh god. Yes, let's not let's let's, let's let's not refer to that anymore. Anyway, <laughs> so um, moving on towards film, which is my section. So this will be a bit interesting as the host. Anyway, but um, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to sort of start my roundup of twenty twenty in general because I think I think I feel really mixed about it. I think it's been, in one level, it's been an unbelievably great year for film, but on the other hand. It hasn't been because we've had cinema shutting around the world. The amount of film has been pushed back to 2020. I mean, we're talking about like a lot of the big blockbusters, like like Black Widow was pushed back. James Bond, the big one, No Time to Die, that was pushed back twice in April and March. Now it's moved back again in November. And then that sort of caused, then that's moved back again to April to next year. And then that started, Cineworld had to shut down. Uh, because they couldn't they couldn't run anymore, but now they think I think they've had sort of a package to to rescue them. Um, they've we've also had sort of uh, we, the only film big blockbuster came out was Tenet, but then when that had to have an international release, we also had a podcast on Tenet, which you can listen to still. Um, so so that came out in a period where a lot of studios when they saw that saw that they sort of all went you know we don't really want to release our film anymore. So a lot of them sort of push their films back in order to get a bit more money. So in that level, it hasn't been a great year for film. And that on that level, in terms of in terms of the exhibition side of things. But in terms of the the film side itself, like I was looking at my top ten on Letterboxd, which is the best business which is one of the best platforms ever. <laughs> um on that level, um I've I've seen some of the films on it and it just been some brilliant, terrific films. Like I've I saw um I mean, specifically, I went to London Film Festival, which was which was a mixture of online and offline. So there was some like a lot of online screenings as well, and there was a lot of kind of um, other screenings available for um, to go to go to London. So you can go up to London, and there were some films available around London, also some other cinemas around the UK. So it was that element, which is a great way because I think actually in terms of the festival side of things, in terms of stuff like um, London, Sundance, London, uh, Toronto. Uh, Sundance next year is that I think actually having an online element will mean more access, more accessibility for audiences. I think that's such a really key thing because festivals for a long time has been kind of felt like a sort of an exclusive club where only if you were like part of a BFI member or you were kind of uh, a, uh, a, was it, a film school of Lincoln, 
the link film school in uh where is it in new york um if you're one of those if you're one of the kind of like those places you were only able to kind of like exclusive tickets and such kind of kind of first in queue i think actually having accessibility online having online films yes of course filmmakers won't be able to see the films on the big screen which of course is which of course is, is a very it's a sad thing but at the same time i think that sort of at the same time um the audiences be able more audiences be able to see their films than they would have had you know so i think that's a really important thing to say in terms of um the in terms of like films that came out this year uh, i mean i'll just list a couple I mean, at the start of the year we had films like onward which came out. I mean, does anyone remember Onward? <laughs> we had um, The Invisible Man, which was that film with Elizabeth Moss, uh, Jane Blumhouse film. We had Birds of Prey, which was the only superhero film which came out this year, pretty much, apart from Wonder Woman, which is out today, interesting enough. Um, then we also have had films such as um, Sonic. We also had um, Sonic the Hedgehog, which came out at the start of the year, which... You know, everyone, we sort of, I mean, the, when, when that was first announced, everyone thought, oh, God, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, what, what what's going to happen here? You know, I mean, the whole sort of the, the CGI hedgehog and such was an unbelievable sort of um, thing. I mean, I was I was very nervous about it. But actually, I went to see it. I was really surprised by it. I was really, I was definitely pleasantly surprised. And, yeah, I, I really sort of, um, it was quite, some of the dialogue was a bit cringe, but overall, it's a very fun movie. But then... Citizen Kane of video game adaptations. Oh yes, absolutely. Silicon video game adaptations, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let, let's let, let's not forget. Um, what, what was that video game? Oh, oh, I forgot my name of it. Tomb Raider. That was it. When, when Tomb Raider did a, did a was it? They I did never a, saw that. Okay. Yeah, that was that was that was very disappointing considering the hype for that film. And I'm a big fan of Tomb Raider series anyway. But yeah, so that was um, released. Um, in terms of in terms of, and then when we went into lockdown, of course, less films have been shown, but there were some great indie films. Like I'm talking about uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which was an incredible, uh, very powerful film by by Eliza uh, Hitman, which was about a pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania who travelled to New York, and essentially, to base, basically, she basically it's about it's about a girl it's about a girl essentially goes to New York and essentially she goes and has an abortion and what was incredible about it was sort of the authenticity of that process and such and so and for me as someone who is the opposite gender um someone I thought I thought that was really insightful I found that to be a very moving film and really generally quite very low-key in its tone but Definitely one of the standouts of this year, and it really made a lot of great uh, headlines. It made some really great positivity around the world. So yeah, we had that. Uh, we had another film which came out called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things," which was Charlie Kaufman's new film, which I, we which was um, I think many people could say it was a very weird film, wasn't it? I'm Thinking of Ending Things was an absolute like mind bender. I still don't fully understand it. I don't ever will understand it. I tried my best to understand it, and no, I think the performances <laughs> in it were great. I thought it was very uncanny and very weird, but I'm still not fully sure if I liked it or not. Yes, I mean it was up there with sort of. I mean, I, I'm as someone's a big fan of Charlie Kaufman, and somebody who thinks Charlie Kaufman's films sort of they're they're kind of metaphors for the human condition. I would say, like in terms of looking at, I mean, like the first film being John Malkovich was is about kind of um, personalities and life itself. And you look at other, other some others like like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which he did the screenplay for. Oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> the, the which he did the screenplay for. Um, 
that that film was about memory and time and relationships and i think i think if ending things was about sort of i don't i don't i don't know if i give it away well i mean it's been out for a few weeks but i mean it's not been out for a while i mean i could say it's sort of about memory again going back to that but it's also sort of about time and passing and also death as well and how we sort of come to terms with that that may be sort of giving away too much but it's been out for a while so if you haven't seen it then yeah sorry um so yeah so we've had those films and there's some, there's some other really great great films i saw this year i went well, when i went to london film i went well, i was very lucky enough for the age to go to the london film festival this year and i saw some unbelievably great films so i saw another round which was which is coming out next year which is thomas vinterberg's new film which stars mads mickelson brilliant actor um my and, guy i love him yes 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 mads mickelson. and essentially he's he um, he, yeah and he also was in the hunt as well people haven't seen the hunt which was with thomas vinterberg that's a fantastic film if you haven't seen that it came out a couple of years ago no seven years ago um, another round was about is about these four guys who essentially come up with an experiment about drinking which essentially is it's based on a thing a swedish psychologist the whole idea is essentially that if you take uh 0.05 percent uh alcohol because apparently your body was born with less 0.05 percent blood level essentially if you drink alcohol that brings your level up and so they the experiment saying if you have alcohol it might improve your mood it might make your day better you might function better if you have a bit of alcohol every day and you can and if you can see if you probably guess what happens it all goes a bit horribly wrong this experiment does and so it's just a great intoxicating mess and also intoxicating fun as well seeing these four guys sort of kind of and seeing Mads Mikkelsen just drinking himself to, to to hell we would say and sort of and the way how it's sort of the uses of the sound design sort of kind of you hear the chinks of the bottle and sort of the the corks and the fizz it's it's so it's so visceral but if people if people been to a bar or been to a pub and such you still remember a lot of the sounds and the tastes in the film you can definitely definitely it's very it's a very sensual experience but it's a that but it's a very funny film very moving and i absolutely loved it and I'm really excited to see that one. I'm really yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a fantastic film. We've seen it. Um, I'll quickly talk briefly before um before I ask people some of some of their pick, picks of the films of the year. Uh, I would say another film I would say is Lil and Lucy, which came out, a film that I've been banging on about since since July when it came out, and I absolutely loved it. It's this brilliant film about these two about these two uh oh two 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 women who are and they're both two women two friends and essentially. Um, something basically tragically happens and sort of their relationship starts to slowly crackle and fall apart and the community around them start to fall apart and there's sort of these it's quite and it's quite sort of brittle in its relationships but there's also a real emotional heart and um, the lead actor who's who's in it uh, Roxanne Scrimshaw who it's her feature debut is probably one of the best performances of the year unbelievable performance she had so I absolutely loved her in, in it and I thought she did such a great job um another film I want I want to talk about is a film called The Reason I Jump which was had a film had a really special place in my heart I wrote a review about it for The Edge uh, it's a it's a film as some as, as somebody who's diagnosed with autism on the autistic spectrum uh, it's a film about autism but it's based on a book by Naoki Higashida called The Reason I Jump and essentially it sort of com- it sort of is it sort of takes the book and uses it as a, a meditative and, and uses it to sort of create a sensual experience to create this sort of kind of 
this cinematic experience to show why to show the autistic experience to show what it's like for someone with autism and i thought and also as well kind of intertwining between uh this these strange kind of um ethereal uh moments of facing like a young japanese boy red kind of running through these these kind of, kind of stormy landscapes like lighthouses and black forests and in addition we then have we see we also follow five young people around the world and their stories as well and i generally found it so powerful and unbelievable movement as, as well as someone's on the spectrum there were some moments which really hit me hard there's a moment specifically about sort of when it talks about detail and there's this bit where the camera looks down looks down on the road you know you know when you're looking down the road and the cars kind of come whizzing by or you see the road kind of whizzing past you as a kid i was so sort of addicted to that there was something so, quite I don't know, I don't describe it, but there's something sort of love, sort of lovely, very calming watching that. And in the film, they show that image. And it was like, suddenly I went back to this memory of being like, oh my God, that was, that was me when I was younger. You know, that, that, was, that was that moment. So yeah, I loved it. It's coming out next year and it's an unbelievable film. And I'd say one more film I'd recommend, uh, my favourite film of the year, is a film called Rocks, Sarah Gavron's film about, the, about a, young teenage, a young black teenage girl in London. And she, one day her mother goes missing and she has to look after her young 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 son as well as manage school as well at the same time and it's this brilliant film so it's so devastating in its drama but so uplifting in its emotion and it's about and it's about friendship sisterhood uh from young friends coming together it, there's so many sort of wonderful themes in there and also it's about childcare, about parenthood as well sort of thrown this microcosm of London and it's so and just using a brilliant soundtrack as well there's a moment with, with a song by Little Sims in there which was brilliantly used uh so, so such a vibrant soundtrack and just such a really pleasant film for this year it's out on Netflix if you haven't seen it I so thoroughly recommend that so yeah those, those are my sort of picks for the year does anyone have any other favorite films of the year yeah, I was going to say, and this is one I don't think anyone else will mention, is Happier Season. And it's not because of the story, but it's because it's about a gay lesbian couple in a Christmas film. And they are not a side character. They are the main storyline. And that, to me, was powerful as a queer woman myself, being able to see myself reflected in a Christmas film. But it also deals with important issues like coming out to your parents and like how everyone has a different story there's some who get exiled from their home and there's some where their parents accept them and it was just mm. beautiful and it also had like the cheesy rom-com moments that you need in a Christmas film so it was just fantastic to me and I mean it actually made me tear up a little because I, I kind of felt that finally there's people there's people on the screen that I can see myself in so, yeah, yeah. I also thought like I think it was it Christian Stewart, Mackenzie Davis in that. And let's just say now, Christian Stewart is a fantastic actor who who now let let's let's leave the Twilight series behind her, and she's become like same with Robert Pattinson. She's become such a such an eclectic uh, filmography now. She actually has you know. So I think she's she, I've, I'm really looking forward to watching that over the Christmas period. Hopefully, so yeah. Yeah, I'd say uh, Borat as well. I, oh yes I really liked this year i thought it was i thought it was really funny i mean uh i took a i thought it had a bit of a slow start it took a minute to kind of get going for me the film but um definitely by the end i mean it's such a sort of collection of 
really funny gags and it and a lot of the best gags in it as well have sort of two or three uh meanings when you consider the political climate it's making fun of like there's some really sort of smart um ideas in there there are there are a couple that that went a little a little off the rails but uh, apart from that i thought i was really pleased with it as as a sequel i thought it delivered quite a lot um, the, on its on its predecessor yeah the fact you had to sort of the fact that borat to bring back the couch borat as well is such a you know was it going to work? Was it going to was it going to be brilliant? You know, are we? Is it is it going to be sort of the same? And the minute when you start saying, you know, younger match, I was just like, oh yes, this is just. I mean, <laughs> so, it was just such a fantastic. It was such a good one- impression. Yeah, I, I'm not. No, yeah, that's the last time you hear that impression. <laughs> and this essentially like <laughs> don't uh, do it again. <laughs> oh yes, uh, but essentially like I thought I thought that film was so. It was it was kind of like going back to it sort of it it didn't it didn't do the same thing for the first film it it, it sort of expands a little bit more like i think the usage of bringing Definitely. bringing in like was it her was it his his young young sister wasn't it i think so daughter yeah sorry his young daughter i think bringing her into it then she she has some unbelievably funny moments and then of course that moment with rudy giuliani at the end which is so shocking and it's so unbelievable it's so unbelievable how how Borat managed to how Satch Bagon had managed to get that. I just can't believe how that how that managed to get happen. But yeah, it is that it's just I really enjoyed that big time. I was yeah, I think Joe would say something. You wanna see about a film? I was just gonna ask. I was literally just gonna ask about Borat, but anyway, Harry took the words right out of my mouth, so there you go. Oh well. well. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I also Two other things before we move on to culture. Lastly, um, there's one thing we I forgot to mention quickly was that Parasite won the Oscar for Best Picture at the start of the year, which was something that, I mean, that was it's, it feels like such a different realm. That now, feels so but... long ago. That was before the pandemic. Yeah, it was yeah. still this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very. I remember. I was lucky enough to see it this time last year. I was up. To, I was. I was up in London this time last year to go into a press screen for it, and I just thought it was incredible. It's just such a. It's near perfect film as you could probably get. I would say. If you haven't seen Parasite, still, it's available on Amazon Prime. I think so. If you want to watch it, it's so worth watching over this Christmas period. But yeah, so that one best picture. That was such a great thing to see, championing South Korean cinema and sort of making people more aware to those films. Definitely. Um, and the other thing I would say as well yeah. is looking looking on to next year, we've we've seen some recent things in the news about Warner Brothers and Disney as well, sort of moving a lot of stuff to their streaming services. So that was one of the biggest things this year was about streaming. A lot was about streaming, and streaming this year was so um, was such sort of a big thing for people to sort of kind of you know as a getaway period. I mean, Disney Plus was released this year, and Disney last week announced that a lot of stuff's going to go on to Disney Plus as well, which. Um, we're not. I mean, the debate is that is a completely different podcast in itself. But you know, you can decide which if you're going to watch them stuff, or you're not going to watch those stuff. But essentially, um, it's it's an it's going to be an interesting year next year for film. It'll be interesting to see how it navigates uh, the pandemic. It's going to be interesting to see how they manage uh, the 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 sheer number of delayed blockbusters. As well, I mean, look, I was, I'm looking at it, it's like Black Widow. I mean, I was looking at so was looking at like was it the um, I mean. Quickly, I was looking at some of the the blockbusters. Like it's like James Bond, and then into Black Widow, and then into you know another another big film as well. And it's just it's just unbelievable what's going to happen next, what happen next year. So we're going to see how they navigate that. And the big thing we hope as well is hopefully people go back to cinemas. And if you want to support cinemas, there's websites on Movie, and there's also other uh, 
places you can go and go and support your local cinema as well. So that's pretty much it for film. Um, we can now finally move on to last but not least, we can move on to culture, and we can start with well, I have one of you two. Okay, so twenty twenty for like classic culture. Obviously, nobody could go anywhere. Everybody was stuck in. So book sales have gone absolutely through the roof, which has been really nice to see, actually, because people have been going out and like uh, supporting not not just like businesses like Waterstones, but local bookshops, which is really important because, you know, they sort of build the community, local bookshops. So we had in in March, I think. Yeah, we had Maggie O'Connell's Hamnet, which was. Uh, a sort of fictional retelling of William Shakespeare's only son who died at the age of 11, probably from the plague, we don't know. But um, and she won the Women's Prize fiction as well, which was quite cool. Um, Madeline Miller did the retelling of uh, Song of Achilles. She has become sort of quite prominent this year. A load of her books, even though they've been published a few years ago, they've become sort of quite popular love her so again, much people have been, everyone read Madeline yeah, Miller people have been going back everyone do it Song of Achilles book of it's just oh it's amazing I love it it's such a beautiful book as well the, the way Madeline Miller writes it's so poetical as well as sort of storytelling so it's it's really cool it's, it's a really good book um Stephen Fry had Troy out as well in October Stephen Fry is a big on the retelling and sort of retelling of myths he did uh, I think he did Heroes and Mythos as well, which was quite good. Um, Troy, again, like just retellings are quite prominent this year. Um, the Tempest, M- Madeline Miller sort of announced she was doing a, a new retelling of The Tempest book for sort of like a feminist reading. She's doing it in the point of view of Miranda, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah, there's not been much in, in literature in terms of... Hilary Mantle? Big prominent books. Hilary Mantle, she her book came out with was a load of essays though, wasn't it? It wasn't like fictional. No, she no the fi- the final book of the um the mirror and the, the, the final book of the to- of Oliver Cromwell Thomas Cromwell series came out this year. Start of February. Oh wow, I must have missed that. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I thought you were gonna say that. Yeah, the, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm still working my way through those books. But yeah, if you haven't read Warfall, which is it's such a fantastic read. I thought, I, I thought, oh god, it's going to be one of those, you know, historical books, and it's sort of not going to be. I thought, you know, but the way how she sort of plays with history is so fascinating, and the characters are so um, visceral and it's so visual as well in terms of in terms of like conjuring up images in your head and such. I thought that was a wonderful book. Yeah, well, that sounds. That sounds pretty cool, actually. I've never read any of the Hilary Mantle books, but I knew that she was quite her like her thing is historical fiction, really, isn't it? Mm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's done a couple of, a couple of books for us, but yeah. Um, theatre this year, even though a lot of people had theatre tickets for shows this year, I myself was supposed to go see a Doll's House with Jessica Chastain. I was absolutely oh, wow. Back. Yeah, I was going to see it for um for my birthday, but obviously. The tickets had been sort of postponed. David Tennant was meant to make a return again to West End this year. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, but there's been a lot of stuff online and streaming stuff that people have been able to make use of. Um, this year was the fifth year anniversary of Hamilton, which is coincidentally, obviously, it was put on Disney Plus this year, um, which I think sort of reinforced Lin-Manuel Miranda's talents. I mean, even though Hamilton was a massive phenomenon when it came out, I still think it deserves quite a lot of recognition but at the same time it also 
sort of uh, deserves a lot of sort of microscopic looking at. Alice wrote an amazing article on sort of like the dangers of the false heroism of Alexander Hamilton. So go have a look at that. Go check that out. That's on the website. Um, the National Theatre did a really cool sort of stream at home, which really delved into the archives of their Shakespeare um, performances. One of the most popular ones was, Summer, was Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and Titus Andronicus was also there for the RSC. I was literally um, about to say, um, uh, Anthony and Cleopatra of Ralph Fiennes, and I can't remember who the woman's name is. Um, the NTL put up a recording of that. And that was fantastic. Um, I never had the chance to watch that when it first was available online. So then re-putting that back up over lockdown was brilliant because it was such a good show. Yeah, it's really good. I really enjoy the Roman plays as well. It's the way that Shakespeare captures Rome and captures the historical uh, city itself of Rome and the Romans, I think is really quite, like, it's just, it's just a really good representation of it for such a, a long time ago. So I think any Roman um, play from Shakespeare is just really cool. Uh, there was also not much going on in the art world because obviously exhibitions had been cancelled, but there was a lot of online exhibitions. Um, a favourite was the Andy Warhol one at the Tate Gallery which was quite um, quite prominent. There was a lot of people that didn't do that. Year. I, don't I, don't... I never knew Andy Warhol had a new exhibition out this year. Yeah, it was meant to be at the yeah, Tate Modern, because I was going to go to that yeah. as well. But, but I think they said that they might actually put it there when everything's back to normal, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the V&A, the V&A had quite a few um, exhibitions that were cancelled as well. There was one on... Um, Carol's Alice in Wonderland that's obviously been postponed and it's going to be on next year so there's a lot of exhibitions that look quite fun to go to but just a shame that's been cancelled um and there's a, there's a pardon hope for next year yeah hopefully next year there's also uh, I know this is a little bit more Harry's territory but it's sort of like a it's a podcast about art itself which I discovered this year by the actor Russell Tovey which I really love him it's really cool and he has Basically, this celebrity comes on and they just talk about art. And it's really um, fascinating because you can discover lots of different art through it and a lot of different artists. And they talk about um, Carmen Hook, Carmen, I can't remember her last name, but she's this like Mexican artist and she's been a, she's been alive for 106 years or something. And she's only now been sort of recognised for her art. So it's a really nice way to celebrate artists and, you know, the culture of art as well, which sometimes I think is sort of not really given its recognition so far but yeah is there any is there any books that you guys have read this year that you really enjoyed um i was gonna say that i actually really loved the new hunger games book the ballad of songbirds and snakes that that, i I, yeah i loved it i mean like i know a lot of people criticized it i mean i actually wrote an article saying i don't get why they're doing a prequel because i was like i just think it's to make money but it actually felt relevant to the story. And then once you get to understand how snow became snow, when you watched the Hunger Games again or read the Hunger Games again, it was a completely different story, which was more in depth and more powerful, in my opinion. Like I absolutely adored it. And it made me feel like 14 again when I was reading these books. I totally forgot they do a prequel for the Hunger Games this year, but I mean, that, that must've been, I, I'm, I'm, as someone who read the first Hunger Games and sort of sort of forgot about them again, I think it's interesting that they're sort of kind of revisiting that in, in an area of in this pandemic era in the way it's sort of it's a dystopian 
world in the world in the near in a year that's been a bit dystopian you would say i really hope that they do a prequel on joanna next that's like the dream prequel is them going through her time in the games because she's such an interesting character which is why when amanda Mm. songbird and snakes came out i was really like i don't care about snow i don't want to know like i don't i really don't care what he's doing um i still haven't read it ironically um i do want to it's on my reading list but um i really hope that what's her name suzanne collins um maybe delves into it a little bit more i'd love one on i'd really like one on joanna to be honest um or even one on finnick like i'd want one on more of the victors and what happened in their games how it's now what about gail no gail doesn't deserve a prequel (laughs) he's not (laughs) (laughs) oh sad times the one on the first ever hunger games would be pretty cool that would be because like when you read the original rebellion yeah, so like the this one was it set in the tenth Hunger Games, and it was like before basically like advertising and all that. Because obviously now, it, in what we saw in the first film, was it was all about like people paying and all that. But in the tenth, it was more about like yeah, let's just slaughter these people, starve them, watch them die. It's just it's really gruesome. So like I'd love to see the first ever one because obviously it'd be even more gross, basically. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting, and I want to know like. Because a lot of the appeal of the Hunger Games for me was the political climate of it, not necessarily the games themselves, but like the impact of them. And I think that'd be really interesting for the first one to see, like, if people tried to break into the arena, how they did it differently to the seventy-fifth Hunger Games, which obviously is the final one that we see in the books. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I'd be interested sort of expanding on there's there's more stories in that universe than was it the four books sort of. Then it's more there's more than beyond Katniss's story, you could say. Potential there. Right. I think we can then move on towards, um, we can move on to Harry now then. All right. Um, So digital culture obviously comprises TV and games, um, the latter of which there's been sort of an enormous amount on. Um, I'm going to start with TV. Um, Just sort of working through things from this year that I've really enjoyed. Um, First of all, I, I feel I have to mention The Mandalorian. Um, obviously here in the uk we didn't get the first season yes still technically 2020 and obviously season two's just started um i i was very surprised with how much i liked the first season um i was very sort of i mean i'm not a big star wars fan anyways but i think as a lot of people were feeling the star wars fatigue from you know awful rise of skywalker and sort of all these spin-offs and all that it was um, all right it, the really rise of skywalker. it was not too bad man, I, I hated that thing <laughs> i do yeah. admit that <laughs> it's it does it does sit a bit low in the stomach <laughs> yeah um but i was i really enjoyed the first season the mandalorian it felt nice and self-contained even though it did fit into sort of a broader timeline um and i'm one episode into season two currently and it was it was a good episode just finished um, it so just somehow i haven't watched it by now i think everyone has disney plus by this point then uh, i think even for people who have never seen a star wars think i actually think it's a good uh jumping on point i think it's nice and accessible for what it is to be fair so season two is just really good i've i've, I've started i'm on i think i'm i think the final episode comes out this friday because recording the wednesday so yeah i cannot oh, wait for the, for the finale it's 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 been a really mm. good season Awesome. I'm excited to watch more of it. Um, also this year, really important has been The Boys Season 2, which has just been, you know, massive. I think it was, um, I think when it came out, uh, sort of, I think it, did it start in June or July? Uh, sort of I think it was in July because I haven't finished the season yet myself. Um, 
if anyone hasn't seen The Boys, it is just it's just fantastically over the top. I've never seen a show that is more like intense, I suppose, but intense in like the every single way possible. Like everything you can think of is in The Boys, and it's just absolute madness. But it works really well. Um, I haven't finished season two yet, but I am yeah. enjoying it so far. Yeah, I'm. I just watched episode four of the second season last night. So I'm about halfway through. Um, and so far, obviously I can't comment on the whole season overall, um, but so far I think it's really good and an improvement on the first one. I think whoever's pulling the strings uh, in terms of making all these creative decisions um, now in the second season really know what's good about the show. And I think they've, they're have they doubling down on all the really good um, aspects about it, especially Homelander as a character. I think they know they have gold with that character. Um, and it's a much more sort of focused, streamlined effort. And and the subplots with with the show's parody of Aquaman, I think, is <laughs> so funny and just and genius. Uh, but I think I think it was the most streamed show or something when it came out. Um, it was really uh, sort really? of quite popular. Um, so it's obviously it's, I think it's going to continue to be quite um, important. So I'd get around to that. Um, if you haven't, um, something on Netflix I really want to mention that did not get nearly enough buzz uh, that it should have done or that I thought it would um, is a series called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Um, it's an improv, a stand-up um, comedy series where Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middle Ditch, two comedians, um, do sort of long-form improv. So it's about 50 minutes and they go and they just they perform a show based on stimulus from the audience and they improvise the whole thing. Um, and it's it's one of the funniest um, things I've ever seen. I just yeah, I think it's completely brilliant, and because it gets quite messy as well, because they're improvising everything, just uh, ups the humor uh, even more. Um, I just I think it's fantastic. Um, you can watch the whole thing in like three hours. The the whole season. There's only three episodes. Um, I'd really really highly recommend that if you want something to chill out to, because uh, those guys are geniuses. I've seen it I've seen it four times over now. I think um, I keep coming back to it. And it's yeah, it's gold. Um, it didn't get didn't get. I mean, it got attention, but not not an enormous amount. And I think should should have got more really. Um, outside of that, in terms of recapping, I may destroy you. Obviously, which I still haven't seen, but I'd feel remiss. Yeah, I'd feel remiss not to mention it because it's you know got so many runaway. One of uh, the best shows of the year, definitely. Reviews. I know Theo, you like it loads, don't you? Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was just brilliant. I mean, somebody who lived in London, I thought I thought it was it was a show that just captured the essence of london so unbelievably well and i thought the fact it was such there's so many elements of just the use of social media i think the way how it sort of it it deconstructs the um the sexual consent the word consent is so clever and so smart and yeah i, I thought it was and michelle aquell the, the performance is just unbelievable it's generally one of the most i, I, I don't know if i said groundbreaking but i think it's one of the most um must watch shows of the year awesome um we're just working down the list I got here. This was a uh, quiz um, back in yeah, must have been, what, August, was it, I think? It was, maybe? It was March, uh, April. It was, it was okay. I, I think I thought it was sort of closer to the mid-year. I don't know. Whenever it came out, um, I, I was not expecting much from it, and I actually thought it was really sort of clever and how it handled it, the controversy, because obviously it's talking about the who wants to be a millionaire, uh, who wants to be a millionaire uh, cheating scandal. Um, and it, I, mean, I won't say too much spoiling it, but it, it handles sort of ambiguity around the scandal quite effectively. I thought I was quite pleasantly pleased by it. It's, again, it's a really short mini series. That's something you can watch in a day. Mm. Um, if you didn't see it, I, I think it's quite good. It's, uh, it's quite, quite English as well. Quite a relevant case. Um, we had the good place season four back in 
January, I think, February, right, right at the start of the year, um, which I think is a really nice, fun show, very bingeable. Um, you can watch the whole thing pretty quickly, um, and it's it's good. It's got sitcom sitcom energy, <laughs> even though it's not really a sitcom. Yeah. Um, and I also saw I also also saw um, Space Force a few months ago, which I thought was quite bad. Um, not just really badly judged humor. <laughs> it's funny uh, ben, Sh- ben schwartz from middle ditch and schwartz is in is in that show which is sort of half why i watched it um and it was yeah i, I wasn't i wasn't i wasn't super impressed steve carell um we had yeah steve carell uh is it jeff daniels creator of the office i think that's his name oh right um, and um and apart from that des we had which was a really compelling miniseries Des was fantastic um, david tennant same guy just- yeah a talent to be reckoned with. I thought he was terrifying. Oh, he's David Tennant was brilliant. Yeah, he played the main character, Dennis Nilsson, um, which obviously is a serial killer um, that was active in Scotland, like he was a real person. Um, the miniseries was really, really good, very hard hitting, despite the fact it was only three episodes. It was really. Oh, good. Des. I thought you meant yeah. Devs. No, Devs. No, yeah. no. Alex Garland. Oh, because no, no. there was the Alex Garland show, Devs, as well. Yeah. Which I didn't see. I still want to see that. Um, I have Jacob Hando, who's a right for the edge, spoke uh, spoke pretty positively on it. So I'm I'm trying to trying to get to it at some point. It looked really good, but mm. uh, but no, De- Des is in. Yeah, is in there. Dennis Nilsson. I recommend it. Yeah, um, and that's sort of. I mean, do you guys have any other suggestions for sort of um, any, any TV you watched um, that was good? I mean, there was, there was a bit we all burned through an awful lot of content in lockdown. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this year was the year of documentaries. Like you oh, had yeah. Tiger King, you had Cheer, The Last oh, Dance. Like you had so many like documentaries coming out on a variety of different things. Like you also obviously had like environmental ones as well. But I just loved it. And especially reality TV as well. Like that's what's got me through. Like I don't know if anyone's seen it, but Selling Sunset was absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like I got really into real estate. Like I started watching all these real estate programs going, oh, yeah, that's only going to be 1.1 million, you know, like it's just, it's, <laughs> it's like I'm here thinking I'm like, I-, I can sell all these properties. It's just so sick. Like I've just kind of enjoyed watching these reality TV programs and pretending it's your life in a way because at the moment we're just stuck indoors. So it's been pretty cool in that sense. Mm, yeah i don't really watch too much reality tv so that's that's good to good to hear that it's been good on that front this year i suppose it suppose that's the it's a prime market i guess if we're stuck indoors like you said oh, yeah i have to say i watched um i watched a brilliant comedy series called auntie donna's big old house of fun i thought that was just i haven't heard of it it's it's on netflix it's just, it's a it's a comedy joke if everyone's seen tim robinson's i think you should leave now which is one of the best sketch shows of the last probably last few years. It's quite something in that vein, very abstract comedy. But I think the usage of music because they're, they're they're an Australian uh, music trio, um, and they've, they're like the first couple of days it came out, they got about what was it like about three hundred thousand followers overnight on sort of on Twitter. So they, it's had a lot wow. of traction as that. But it's it's so they 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 so deserve it. It's so funny. It's clever pardon me it's clever um very intelligent witty uh very psychedelic at times but i thought it was a wonderful watch and the, lo- the last thing i would other thing i want to recommend as well which i didn't get to when talking about film is steve mcqueen's small axe series which just finished um, just a sunday yeah beforehand. brilliant i'm um, just 
probably one 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 of the best TV shows of the modern era, and it will go down as one of the best TV shows of the modern era. About it's five, it's basically five five. It's a fantasy series based around five films set around the West Indies community from the nineteen sixties up to the nineteen eighties, and it's just the it was it, every single story was so insightful, so empowering. Um, just I've, I'm just amazing filmmaker for Steve McQueen again. I've been a huge fan of Steve McQueen um, ever since you know Twelve Years a Slave, and specifically looking back Definitely. at like Hunger and Shame, I think he's just especially a lot of small acts sort of kind of takes a lot of stuff out of Hunger as well. But I think he's just such a talent, and it's and there's so many great performances and so many fascinating story stories. Um, I can't recommend that show enough. If anyone hasn't seen it, you you must watch Small Acts. It's essential viewing over the Christmas period. Yeah, I've just I've just started making my way through. I've just seen um, Lovers Rock, which I thought was um, really really good. So I'm gonna, oh, that's so gonna, good. That uh, is it five or four? Five. Five. Think, five it? series. Yeah. Um, Lovers yeah, Rock. Okay. In, in, well, Lovers Rock. Interesting enough. Got uh, I think it was Sight and Sound best film of the year for Sight and Sound. Yeah, it did. I saw that. Yeah. So yeah, it was um, unbelievable. But uh, yeah, I really liked Swan Lake. So Mangrove, which I saw the film festival. I thought that was just so just just such a clever sort of court drama that was so engaging because you think when it went to the court trial you'd be like oh you know it sort of would be a bit less interesting but the way how the ca- way how you use the camera to so get in to get into those in into them the people there um it was just just so just, just so wonderful and just so um just just very powerful filmmaking i will say a quick one yeah, for okay. me over lockdown i watched the whole of pose um up until this recent season that's just been released on Netflix, which I've literally just finished. Um, if anyone hasn't seen Pose, I would massively recommend it. Um, I have to give a, a bit of a warning for potential triggers because it does deal with some quite heavy themes, um, but it is absolutely fantastic. I loved it so much. Um, and I also have to talk about Hollywood, which came out this year. Um, Ryan Murphy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy yeah. Absolutely brilliant series. It was really, really good. I ended up watching the whole thing i think in like a day because i just got completely hooked and that was really good as well i think um, ryan murphy has got a real talent in these kind of like contemporary period dramas because pose is set in the late 80s and early 90s and then obviously hollywood is set in the 40s and 50s i'm pretty sure um both absolutely fantastic could not recommend them enough Mm -hmm. wicked absolutely um moving on to uh to games then game next so it's been just a ridiculously um big year so i'm gonna try and sort of condense it down as much as possible the elephant in the room is the new consoles obviously ps5 and um xbox series x neither of which i've got yet um because they're a ridiculous amount of money uh so hopefully at some point in the next like <laughs> two years i'll uh i'll get my hands on one um but luckily everything's sort of somewhat cross-platform at the minute so that that's all right um but they seem pretty good my, my my friend just got ps5 and spoken very favorably on it um i haven't seen too much negative buzz around either of them i think they've so, both sold very well um so i think i think it's i think it's good um on that front i mean sony's sort of strategy for rolling out ps5 stuff is was a bit questionable but i don't think they're paying the price for that so that's fine um i think the i think the biggest uh thing this year maybe or or one of the most popular games certainly is animal crossing um of a lockdown because it came out like like four days i think after the uk went into lockdown which is ridiculous timing nintendo definitely created the virus to sell more copies um but it ended up being a thing that so many people um sort of bought and and played on their switch myself Mm -hmm. included 
Um, very zen, relaxing game. <laughs> I did like just waking up and and tending to my town. It's quite sweet. I need, I need, I need to definitely go on that. Yeah, it's nice. It's not a. I tend to sort of like to play something through and then shelve it and move on to the next thing. Uh, just for a sense of completion, you don't really get that with Animal Crossing. So I'm, it's sort of an on and off game, but I, I quite like that about it. Really, it's 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 nice in that respect. Uh, another big sort of trend, or at least on my end, was was Fall Guys coming out because oh. uh, it was released for free alongside uh, PlayStation Plus. Um, yeah. So anyone who has the online for PS4 got it for free, and I God, I played that to absolute death with with some friends. It was it was really really fun. Um, it still is. In fact, they've just released the third season of it um, just yesterday. Um, and some of the new games are really fun. So if you haven't touched it since it came out uh, and you have it, I'd, I'd, I'd dive back in. It's it's really fun. Uh, it's such a ridiculous uh, game, but a real laugh. Um, aside from that, I think th- probably a really, really culturally significant game was The Last of Us 2, um, mm-hmm. not least for its kind of, you know, being in development for so long, but also because of a the controversy surrounding it which was just completely ridiculous um people being very disappointed and just this complete explosion of sort of media frenzy um you me read about it online it was it was mental and a little bit scary and disappointing from a sort of a gaming community um but it's really significant because of its accessibility settings um it was incredible uh, you might have seen sort of a viral video of um this youtube channel the blind gamer i think it's called um, crying oh, wow. over the the amount of accessibility options, but there's over 60 settings I think um, for for like uh, visual and audio impairment, um, and it's like completely groundbreaking on that front. So that's incredible um, from Naughty Dog. Hopefully we can see more AAA games sort of following that suit. But it's really, I mean, really sort of anyone can play it from what I gather. It's amazing. Um, this is pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> um, Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PC, pretty significant for Sony porting their first party stuff to PC. That's pretty um, marks a bit of a, a bit of a change from previous strategy. Um, it looks like they're just kind of experimenting with it uh, for now. I think Death Stranding's on PC too. Oh wow, um, really? Yeah, I think so. Or, or it's coming. Um, I didn't know I'm pretty that. sure I wrote it in uh, Shotguns though, so I'm pretty sure it's there already. Oh, uh, check that. Check that though. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's that's pretty cool. And on the same note, um, Mario Galaxy and Mario uh, Sunshine Mario sixty four oh, coming to the Switch is pretty pretty it was big. Dope. It was and so good. It was it was awesome. I've got I, the game. I haven't got it yet. I haven't bought it. I don't know if I will, but because it's you can't get it after March thirtieth or something. No, you can can't. But I think yeah. So it's still very weird for like another three more months. But um, yeah, I I started playing Mario Galaxy and I just got it was very emotional playing the game again. I still haven't finished it yet, but <laughs> and in HD. Huh? And playing Mario Galaxy in HD. Oh yeah, as well. Oh my word! Like it's, be- it's beautiful to watch as well. Yeah, I might, I might get it at some point. Um, but I thought it's pretty interesting because Nintendo don't have the best, uh, kind of history for, uh, sort of bringing old games back or or sort of shopping their games around and stuff like that. And that's starting to change because they're moving into making some apps and stuff now. So I, they're getting a little bit more free with how they do things. Um. But I, it was very good ports on all fronts, I think, from what I've heard, which is really nice. Um, I wanted to flag Ghost of Tsushima from this year. Oh. Uh, obviously, big old game. But there was one element. You can read the review on The Edge by Sam Pegg. It's a really good uh, in-depth review. But he talks a lot about the uh, waypoint system, 
of it. So you don't follow like a dot on a screen in the game. The waypoint is the wind and you follow the way the wind is going, um, which I just want to flag as a really cool um, idea to change the that that kind of system. Because I hate when I'm playing like a something open world and it's a really sort of nice looking world and there's just loads of menus around and there's just, you know, like a dot on the screen that you're just walking to, you know, you're just following a trail to get to the next thing. Like that's not a good way to kind of interact with the world, I don't think. So I, I like that from that game, although I still haven't played it um i do i do intend to though more recently cyberpunk 2077 finally came out big Feels issues like, I, mean, I, I mean i yeah yeah I, mean, I didn't really i haven't really cared about the game uh up to this point at all it wasn't something i was going to play but the uh i just feel like i've been hearing about it forever it's finally out and the ps5 version and xbox series x version still isn't out so we're going to be keep hearing about it but yeah as you just said it's been it's a buggy mess i think it's like the, the fallout 76 of of, 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 uh, of this year when did 76 come out was that 2019 why I've delayed the game so. so much they delayed the game back in well, November yeah, clearly. they have delayed it again I mean going back to what I was saying about Last of Us 2 like the controversy around that like there's been so much pressure online and from you know fans to get this thing out and death threats over it being delayed and stuff is ridiculous so it's obviously not ready to come out um, but from the from the sort of the, the mess I've seen online of of how much people are complaining about the bugs and how ridiculous some of them are like um it looks kind kind of insane maybe the next gen version will be will be uh smoothed over you would hope um <laughs> yes, also say so. that yeah the <laughs> avengers game from earlier this oh, year even came out and everyone forgot about i played the beta for that because it was free um, I didn't buy the full game, but I thought, I thought it was an absolute car crash of a game. I mean, <laughs> pretty much everything about it that they could have used to make it a really likable, sort of fun party game, uh, uh, just, well, not a party game, a, a, a co-op game, um, was they, they did not sort of capitalize on. Just everything about it was, was half-baked. It was very, very poor. Um, pick it up for a fiver, but not for the 50 quid that, you know, they were peddling it for, obviously, when it came out. Um, I thought it was really interesting because they had a real opportunity for popularity because it's the Avengers, you know. If they made something really good, it could have been and really it. enormous. But it's this weird, like, yeah, it really had. It's a weird, like, division thing. Very, very bad. The missions were really bland. Um, <laughs> very poor. Uh, I could write an essay about the downfalls of that game. Definitely uh, playing but, that. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, that's kind of it for games. I mean, apart from that, it's been kind of a decent year for vr half-life alex came out in march oh. i think it was which was enormous for revolutionizing how vr can be used i haven't played it myself but um there's lots of coverage about it and uh oh, and discussion it. of its various factors and how sort of fantastic it it looked and felt um so that's that's really big i'm not a enormous like vr guy i, I don't know where that that tech's going hopefully somewhere good but hopefully this maybe cements vr as like a uh, or goes goes towards cementing VR as like an actual sort of medium for for sort of different storytelling. It could be could be cool. Um, I think that those are the those are the sort of main things. Have you have you played anything I haven't mentioned, Theo, or, or seen stuff about anything I've mentioned? Ooh, it's been I, I haven't played a lot to be fair this year. I mean, I've sort of played a lot of nostalgia old fashioned games. I tell you, I did play. I played the Pikmin Free Porks of the Switch, which just came out. I oh yeah, I thought good? that was. Um, I thought I really, I was really enjoyed. It. I haven't played, I've only, I haven't played it a lot, but from what I played, I thought it was really cute, quite sweet, a very relaxing game. It is, but also it can be a very stressful game if you're not good at it at all. So yeah, yeah. so 
I'm really looking forward to see what that's going to be like when I get round to it a bit more over lockdown yeah. period. But yeah, I haven't played I haven't played a, a shed load of games. To be fair, I mean I'll be sort of playing more a lot, lot of the old sort of nostalgia older games because my brother got an Xbox One for the first time, so I've been able to sort of kind of go back and play like, during lockdown, play a lot of kind of the older like games I haven't played that I've barely played on the system. So that was a lot of fun. It was, but yeah, wicked. Joe Morgan, have you played? Anything? I was going to say I've played a uh, yeah I've played um, NBA Two K Twenty One. Yeah. I'd recommend that. I love that. Yes. I love that. It's absolutely <laughs> epic. I don't even care. Like, literally, they've got the most epic My Career mode. Like, there's a whole story behind it. So you go in and your name's Junior, your dad's dead, and, like, you're trying to make it to the NBA. <laughs> it's so deep. Oh and I, I absolutely love it. And then you go into the neighbourhood, which is this, like, it's all revamped. So now it's, like, the beach instead. And, like, you could play online with players. And, like, I won't lie, I enjoy playing, but I'm not good. So every time I go online playing against people who are actual gamers, I get, like, shouted at. It's so funny. Because, like, I, yeah. I, like I, it's how I learned to play. So they were like, screen me, screen me. And I was like, what the hell's a screen, man? What are you saying? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's Honestly, it's actually so sick because they kind of merge, like, a virtual world with a sports game and mm. I think that's really cool and it, it's like you know like how Last of Us has that whole story at the beginning you have that and you're and whatever you do in the game so like say if um you you like failed one of the or you lost a game that changes the story so oh, it's yeah. all really sick done so I love it that's like, quite interesting actually yeah, I, I, and I like, think I've heard yeah. about a sports game before really yeah journey FIFA tried to do it with the journey a couple of years back. And so it's quite similar in that fashion, I guess. I was just about to say, but like last year's one, so 2K20, Idris Elba starred in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they get celebrities who are the characters. So Idris Elba, I I think he was one of your coaches last year because I'm (laughs) like going to buy it. I don't know. You know, Jesse, yeah. And you know, Jesse Jackson, um, he plays your dead dad. So it's just, it's just wild. And they do right. this thing where you could do a face scan. So you like, I mean, my face scan was absolutely repulsive. So I've refused to show yeah. it. But like you scan your face on the NBA 2K21 app and then like you have your own person in the game. So yeah, it's just really sick. But like, I'd recommend it even if you don't like basketball because like it's just so fun and it's so silly as well. And that's my rant over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Is that, is that everything else? What was your favourite game you played this year? I'll quickly ask before we finish up. God. Um, I think I have to say four guys for, for the amount uh, oh. I played that. Among Us. Just... I forgot Among Us. Oh, yeah, Cultural Phenomenon. That actually came out way back when, I think 2018, yeah. but it's really gotten massive. Oh yes, it was. Um, I mean, to be fair, me and my mates, oh, I don't, I don't sound like sound sort of like an old guy. Would be like, no, we we got here first before you all did. Oh, but... you're such a hipster, man. Yeah, I'm such a hipster. Yeah, you... yeah. yeah, bro, such hipster. No, but essentially, <laughs> like, um, but what was it? I think back in lockdown, me and my mates found this game. We found we found the game among us. We're like, oh, we want to play it. So we started playing. We really enjoyed it. And then I saw PewDiePie started playing, and I was like, oh. Well, it feels like everyone's going to start playing it now. And the next thing you know, a bunch of YouTubers start playing it. My mates tell me, oh, if you've heard this game called Mongus, it's so good. 
And I was like, yeah, I've been playing for about a couple of months now. So yeah, but um, it's so it's so clever because it's it it's sort of like somebody um, for me, my friends, we we love board games, we love playing board games, and so it's like so many different board games. And I think um, it sort of brings that element of board gaming to it, like the whole conversation bit where you kind of got to kind of find out who the imposter is. I think that is such a really exciting element in the game. There's not because like when you play games, not really a lot of talking, a lot of communication in those elements in these games. I think with Among Us. I think it, it really it really brings the fact you have to actually know your mates really well. It's not a game that works well. I personally think on if you play like online with like we're trying to type stuff out, it doesn't that work really well. But I think actually if you play it with your friends, it's a game that works so well. It does, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at lying, so I get I get found out real quick. <laughs> it's a lot I mean, I I kind of find it fun just annoying people by making myself look suspicious. Right, I just find it so funny how everyone thinks they're Sherlock Holmes. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you, it's like if if you're doing yes. like a FaceTime or whatever, and they're like, oh, so you breathed this way, and you know what, liars breathe that way. You're the killer, and it's like, hold up, I just needed to cough. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> like it's 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 just funny watching people get so worked up, and you're like, oh my god. Mm. It's, it was it was such a fascinating game it was i think you know there's interesting a lot of kind of studies coming out of it about like kind of social studies about like how it's so socially you know it's about it sort of tells a lot about like how we socialize with other people and such how we sort of kind of you know we're all kind of a bit of backstabbers at the same time as well trying to be nice there's something really fascinating there's a lot of kind of interesting kind of like psychological studies going on around the game among us which is fascinating but yeah whatever they do with the game it's amazing it's only like four i think who's it um in a sloth there's only like, i think it's only a team of four people who make the game and they're still making the game only just four four people and hats off to them in terms of what how much fame how much praise in terms their servers and such it was such a phenomenon it was and on and on and on that note i think i think i can start wrapping up with this podcast so i just want to say quickly before we um before, before we run up i just want to say a quickly thank you to all my people on this podcast uh, that's morgan mcmillan harry chiefs joe lisney alice fort and olivia della and the, and the last thing i want to say is wherever you are in the world wherever you are listening wherever you are uh thanks thanks thanks, thanks for joining us today thanks for listening and most importantly, throughout this, if, when this comes out, have a, have, a, have a very merry slash hope you had a very merry Christmas. And most importantly of all, have a very, very happy new year.